dashing through so flow on a warm hot winter day down the road we go and there we're on our way hey, hey, hey. Bahamas here we come in the cola we'll see too oh what fun it is to translate all songs in Peru hey. jingle bells jingle bells jingle all the way the Grinch is near but sure can steal our favorite holiday hey. potentials Good to see you, good to see you, good to see you in the back. You guys awake back there? All of our campuses, you guys out there, glad to see you. Thanks for being here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We can finally say that. It's after Thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Welcome, guys. Glad you're here. Thanks for making this part of your weekend, and I want to encourage you to take some notes today. You received an outline when you came in. I want to invite you to fill in those blanks, and uh, we want to give you something you didn't have when you came in. It's our goal. We certainly want to value your time. We want to welcome all of our campuses and uh, thanks for being here as well, those of you that are logged in online. Christmas kickoff was amazing last weekend. Hopefully you were here for it. If you missed it, you want to make sure that you uh, you know, grab that message online. It was phenomenal. I was uh, in Pensacola kicking off Christmas with our friends in Pensacola. Shout out to the Pensacola campus. Glad you guys are here as well. Yeah, give them a round of applause. They're awesome. Love those guys in Pecola and um, all of our campuses as well. Thanks to Pastor Troy and Pastor Steph for giving me a chance to share my heart. Tonight we're talking about something. Today we're talking about something that I'm passionate about, and I hope that you are too. Now, Last week, Pastor Troy kicked off by reading a little piece out of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, one of my favorite Christmas books of all time. I want to read you my favorite part of this book, all right? So here we go. I'm going to story time with Pastor Brian. Here we go. And the Grinch grabbed the tree, and he started to shove when he heard a small sound like the coo of a dove. Now, before I continue, remember, the Grinch is trying to ruin the Who's Christmas. He's come down from whatever Mount Crumpet, I think is where he lived, and he's trying to steal all the Who's stuff. Because if he steals all their stuff, they can't have a good Christmas. So he's in the house. He's trying to shove the tree up the, up the chimney. He turned around fast, and he saw a small who. Little Cindy Lou who, who was not more than two. Oh, The Grinch had been caught by this tiny who daughter, who'd got out of bed for a, cold, a cup of cold water. She stared at the Grinch and said, Santa Claus, why? Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why? But you know, that old Grinch was so smart and so slick. He thought up a lie, and he thought it up quick. Why, my sweet little tot, the fake Santa Claus lied, there's a light on this tree that won't light on one side. So I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. I'll fix it up there, and I'll bring it back. Very good. Bring it back here. (laughs) And his fib fooled the child. Then he patted her head, and he got her a drink, and he sent her to bed. And when Cindy Lou Who went to bed with her cup, he went to the chimney and stuffed the tree up. I love that part of the story because it brought, it brings, you know, kind of introduces you to this, this new character. Her name, Cindy Lou Who. Only two. Cute little girl. And she thought the world, she thought this was really Santa Claus. She, she believed the best in this character. She didn't know him from anyone. She thought he was really going to fix our tree. He's really, I love that innocence, that, that childlike faith that Cindy Lou Who had. She knew everything was going to be okay. When's the last time you felt like that? 
When's the last time you felt that everything was going to be okay with your life? Well, for most of us here, it's been a long time. We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? We, we live in this world of, of, of doubt, right? They said they were going to be with me forever, but they, they weren't. They promised something, but they didn't deliver. They hurt me, and it hurt me to the core. Not that the world is going to be great, but that I'm just waiting to be let down. You ever felt that way about God? You ever felt that God let you down? You ever felt that, hey, I wonder if this, if this is all real? I, I have doubts, you may say, about God. Now, maybe you said in your, in your life before, God, where are you? God, why is it when I continue to pray, why am I still hurting? God, why are you, do you care about my life? We, we have these doubts about God. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what do we do with the doubts we may have or have had about God. About God. What do we do with those doubts? How to how to deal with that. And we're going to go all the way back to the very first Christmas. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I encourage you to always bring them, we're going to turn to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to go back to the very first Christmas, and we're going to talk about Mary. Luke 1, 28, I put it there in your outlines, all campuses. It says this, Gabriel appeared to her. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says, Greetings, favored woman. Please circle the word favored. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Wow. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary says this, but how can this happen? Her first response to all of this stuff the angel told her is, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Please circle the words, but how. Mary doubted God. But she didn't stay there. She didn't stay there. But how am I going to get pregnant? Really, how does this work? How can I change the world through my son? How? She had these doubts. What was it? How is this all going to work out? But Mary dealt with her doubts, as we're going to read in just a few verses. So how do we deal with our own doubts about God? That's what we're going to talk about today. I wrote a few of these things in your outline that should help. Here's the first thing. You need to understand when you're dealing with your own doubts about God, that doubt is common. Please fill that in. Doubt is common. Let's do a little experiment. I love to do this. How many of you, raise your hand, be really honest, all of our campuses, Hallandale Beach, I see you. Raise your hand if you've ever doubted God. Raise your hand up high. Everybody that's ever talked about God probably in this room, if you're being real honest, has, uh, my hand is up too. I've doubted God. I, it's not something I'm proud of, but I've done it. The very first doubt of God I ever had was, is he really my Lord and Savior? When I was nine years old, I wrestled with that. And, and I overcome that doubt. My next doubt was, if I, if, if, do I, can I really trust that if I tithe, that God's going to bless me? That was the second doubt I dealt with. Then I, doubt, I, I had another doubt about God. I, doubted, I prayed so hard that my dad would be cured of cancer and he died. God, really? I doubted God then. I doubted God when my wife and I were trying to get pregnant for five years. And I doubted. I said, God, I, what else do I have to do? I'm a pastor. I'm serving. I'm giving. God, what do I got to do? How come we can't get pregnant? I doubted God then. And just recently, uh, just about a year ago or so, my daughter got really sick. She had the flu. And we took her to the, to the doctor, to the emergency room, because it was a real bad flu. And we thought just it was, they'd give her some antibiotics and send her home. And they came in, they said, Mr. and Mrs. Vassal, we have some news for you. We think your daughter's having a heart attack. 
My daughter's 17. She was 16 at the time. Now, it, wasn't, it didn't end up being a heart attack, but you can imagine the feeling. That flu virus had attacked the muscle around her heart. We went from flu and antibiotics to panic like that. And the, and the, the whole ride to the, to the other part of the hospital, to the actual place they wanted to put her and treat her, God, seriously? You ever, you ever doubt God? If we're being honest, I think we've all had that feeling from time to time. God, are you really there? God, do you care? God, can you do what all the things you say you're going to do? What do we do with our doubt? The Bible's filled with doubters. I put there a few in your outline. It starts off with Abraham, right? We talked about him, and Paul talked about him all the way through Romans 4 a few weeks ago. Abraham, Moses, King Saul, King David, Job, Jonah, Mary. We talked Mary. That's the Mary, mother of Jesus. Mary had doubts. Thomas, Peter, James. Jesus' half-brother had doubts about God. And Paul. Now, look, I left, a, I left a blank line there. If you've ever doubted God, go ahead and put your name there. That's what it's for. You, you join good company. The Bible is filled with people who doubted God and what he could do. Now, most of us have asked questions about God, and I've put a few there in your outline. We question God's promises. Please fill that in. We question God's promises. We ask the question, can I trust God? Can I trust God? Is everything he says he's going to do, will he really do it? Will he really do what he claims he can do? Number two, we question God's presence. We question God's presence. God, when things get tough in my life, will you really be there for me? Are you there now? Pastor Troy says all the time, he calls God the everywhere at one time God. God, are you really in tomorrow? Will you be there when I need you? We question his presence. Number three, we question God's provision. Does God really know what I need? And if he really knows what I need, what's taking him so long giving it to me? You ever have that doubt? God, is he, does God really know? And the last one I put in your notes is we question God's power. Is God even capable of fixing my marriage? Is God capable of re restoring my finances? Can God turn my wayward child the way he or she should go? Is God capable of what he claims? Now, as I researched this week, talking about doubt, I ran across an interesting passage of Scripture. It's in the book of Mark. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn, please, to the book of Mark. We're going to start there in, in chapter 9. And here's the story. There's a, a father who has a son that's been demon-possessed. And the son is, is he's just uncontrollable. And, he, and the, man, the man realizes that Christ is going to be in his town. So he stops and he says, Jesus, if you can, would you please heal my son? And Jesus stops the man. And he, remember the response? Jesus says, what do you mean if I, if I can? What, what do you mean if I can? And, and the man says this. And I want to read you this response. And I love this response because it's so honest. It's so honest. The man says to Jesus in Mark 9, 24... The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. God, I, I believe you, but I, I trust you, but man, I, I want to just go in 100%, but I'm struggling. I have doubts, the man says. Please, I, I believe you, Jesus, but can you help me with my unbelief? Now, as I said before, this is 100% normal. It's common to doubt. It's not where you want to stay, and we're going to talk about how to get out of doubt, but it's completely normal. I put this in your notes. Doubt doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a living one. Doubt doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a living one. As long as you have a pulse, you're probably going to doubt God from time to time. There are no dead people that doubt. You know why? They saw God face to face. They know he's real. No dead doubters. 
if you're a doubter, it's because you have a pulse. It's common. People doubt God all the time. What do we do with that? Uh, here's some other things I want you to fill into your outline. Some sources. See if any of these have triggered doubt in your life. Number, fill in number two. Doubt comes from multiple places. Doubt in God comes from multiple sources, and I've listed a few. Here's what I want to challenge you to do, though. Put a star next to those that have caused you to doubt in the past. Okay, just put a little star. Nobody's going to see it. You're not going to turn this in. Just put a little star if these things have caused you to doubt. Number one, exhaustion. You say, I'm tired of battling God on my own. All it seems that I'm doing is carrying the weight of the world. Where is God in all this? How come he's not helping me out? I've been battling this for a long time. I'm tired. Number two, the second source of doubt is distraction. Seeing other people succeed and you're not. <laughs> if you're a believer in Christ, you're thinking to yourself, I should have all this great stuff from God. But you know what? There's unbelievers that I know that are doing much better. They're driving nice cars, eating steak. I'm on four bald tires eating a questionable burrito. What's the deal, God? Why aren't you taking care of your own people? And we get distracted by what God wants to do. Third thing is this. It's dissension. Dissension. See if this has ever caused doubt in your life. I'm causing more trouble in my family than it's worth. If you're the only believer in your family, there's tension, isn't there? You show up at places. Oh, you think you're better than us because you go to that church. Right? What are you doing in that cult? Why do you go to church all the time? What, what, what's your story? You think you're better than us? We know the real you. And you think to yourself, is this relationship I'm having with God really worth it? Is it, is it really worth it? I, I, I begin to doubt because it's causing so much rift in my family. Here's number, number four, or letter D. Temptation. Temptation. I'm wondering if obedience really matters. Because sometimes, you know, we're obedient. We're obedient with God when we, when we tithe... And a lot of us are tithing. We're hoping that God returns that money back in a big fat check. And when the check doesn't come, we start to doubt. Or we decide to move out. You know, we're living together and we decide to move out. And God doesn't bless our lives the way that we thought he would. Or we do this or we do that. And we, we do all these things for God. And we're like, you know what? I'm starting to wonder if obedience really matters. And we start to doubt. Letter E, frustration. Frustration. You ever felt like God didn't care about you? You've prayed for a promotion for a long time, and, and, and the answer was no. Or there was no answer at all. And you start thinking to yourself, does God even hear me? This is so frustrating. I want God to help me. I want God to be present in my life. I want God to lead me, and it just seems like he doesn't flat out care. Ever been there? You ever felt like your prayers just hit the ceiling of your house? If we're being honest, I think a lot of us have felt that way before. We'd love to pray if we knew that it worked. But some of us, man, that, that frustration kicks in. Here's the last one. Expectation. Expectation. A lot of us make deals with God. I will come to, let me give you the fill in here so you have it. You probably got it off the screens. I am trying to live perfectly and it's not helping. A lot of us make deals with God. God, if I go to church five times in a row, will you give me my man? Right? <laughs> Just five, right? And, and I'm going to check them off. This week and this week and this week and I was here for Christmas kickoff. And I was here and here and here and here. And we make these deals. And it just seems like we can't force God to do what we want him to do. It's like somehow we've convinced ourselves that God is a genie. You rub the lamp. You make a deal. You live perfectly. You try hard not to sin. And if I do all these things just right, God's going to be my puppet. That I can make him do what I need him to do. That he'll carry me as far as I want him to carry me. And leave me alone and I don't want him anymore. It, it's shattered expectations are another cause of doubt. So if you look down your list, how many did you star? I starred quite a few of these. They've caused me to doubt God in the past. There's more. Anger. 
Anger can cause you to doubt God. Jealousy can cause you to doubt God. Not feeling you're worthy enough to follow God is going to cause you to doubt God. Your past can cause you to doubt God. Why would God ever want me? I'm broken. I'm damaged goods. Why? Just because this is a common thing, just because doubt is common, it doesn't mean that it's a good thing in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about for the last little part of our time together. How do we move from a life filled with doubts to a life of faith? If you're a believer in Christ, you weren't called to live a life filled with doubt. You were called to live a life of faith. How do we make the transition? So fill this in if you would. Number three, doubt can be controlled. Doubt can be controlled. Now notice what I didn't write there. I did not put in your notes, doubt can be eliminated. Or doubt can be beaten. Or doubt can be overcome. It can be controlled. Because chances are, if you've ever doubted before, you're probably going to doubt again. But I, I believe for the, over the next few minutes, if we can just internalize these things, we can shorten the amount of time we spend doubting God. That's the goal. It's unrealistic to think that you're never going to have those thoughts again. Here's the first thing to do. When you find yourself doubting God, please fill this in. Remember to love God for who he is. Remember to love God for who he is. I think too many of us base our faith on what God does for us and not for who he is. In other words, God, if you take care of me, I have all the faith in the world. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. But the minute God doesn't, and he steps out of line, and he stops, he's not listening to me anymore, he doesn't care. Well, God, you know, I never really was that religious. Right? I never, I, you know, I played around with it, but we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't worship God. We don't have faith based on what he can do for us. It needs to be based on who he is. And if you ever wonder who God is, Revelation twenty two thirteen. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is everything. He's been around for a long time. He was born 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas morning, and then just 33 years later, after many miracles, they crucified him. They put nails in his wrists and his hands to keep him up on a tree, and he bled and died, not for something he had done, but because of something we've done. And they put him in a tomb, and three days later, praise God, he came back to life. He resurrected. The stone was rolled away, and he walked out living. Forty days after that, the Bible tells us he ascended back to heaven. Jesus is everything. Everything. Now, with that being said, I put in your notes, we don't trust God because of what he will do. We can trust him because of what he's already done. If God just stood in heaven from here on out and crossed his arms like this, we would still worship him. Why? Because it's not about what he's going to do or what he hasn't done yet. It's about what he's already done. He sent his son Christ to die for us. And if he hadn't done that, salvation would be impossible. That you and I would, would end the, our lives just separated eternally from God. God has done the ultimate act of sacrifice. It's what he's already done. So if you ever doubt God, think about what it cost him to get you. Think about what it cost him to get you. Broken, busted you. Broken, busted me. It cost him everything. That's why we worship him. That's why we don't need to doubt. That, there's no reason to guess, does God love me? John 3.16 sums that up. God so loved you that he gave you his son. That if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. We worship God. We have faith in God, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. That's number one. Here's the second thing. Remember that God is still developing us. Remember that God is still developing us. You guys know what this is? Anybody? I don't know if cameras can pick that up, all of our campuses. 
Rubik's Cube, right? Anybody ever have a Rubik's Cube growing up? They sold a billion of them, right? I just bought, this is a new one. I, this was so cool. It's nice and smooth, butter smooth. I used to have one of these growing up. I used to be able to solve this thing in under a minute. In fact, when we used to have field day in school, um, they would sign up for all the athletic events, and I would always sign up for Rubik's Cube. <laughs> that says a lot about me, doesn't it? <laughs> I was, I, so I would sit and try to solve the Rubik's Cube against the other, ner- the other kids that would know all about the um, <laughs> Rubik's Cube. <laughs> I had it down. And you know how you solve a Rubik's Cube? You get the top color, and then you get the top band around the top, then you get the middle one, then you get the bottom row, and then the bottom. But to do that, you got to set one color on the top, and you solve it. Now, to get through the other layers, you got to mess up what you've already done to set the cubes up in the right places to solve the other layers. But every time I would do it, I'd always solve for the top color. I'm not going to do it in front of you because it's, it's quite astounding. And um, <laughs> I get the top color, and then I do it in front of somebody, and they go, oh, Brian, you messed up. Oh, look, you really messed this up. And then I go, ring, and I'd show it to them, and it was perfect. I had to mess up what I'd already worked on to get it to where it needed to be. Well, now, let's take that celestially higher, all right? God sees our lives a little bit like this as well. Look at Philippians 1.6. It says, Paul says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returned. I've got good news for you today. You are a work in progress. You are not done. God is still working in your life. You say, but I doubt God's even caring. You're still being worked on. God is still working on you. He's still getting things lined up. Right? Our lives look like this. Now, let me show you what our lives should look like to God. Don't peek. I only wish I still knew how to do this. Let's take a look at what looks like it's when it's solved. It's been a long time. Thank you for the encouragement, but I don't have it anymore. It's gone. (laughs) But look at this for a second. Can you put that back up for a second? This is where we're headed. One day when we all leave this earth, you're going to look perfect. But in the meantime, it's going to look a lot like this. God's still working on you. Don't doubt him. Do things always work out? Yes, because God says they're going to for your good. But sometimes life feels like this, and we start to wonder, man, am I going to ever become something? God says, yeah, absolutely. I'm positioning the perfect cubes in the perfect places. Now, it doesn't always look pretty, because sometimes you move forward, and it's a step back, and then the, the, the road to, the, to that is, is curly, and it goes back on itself, and you have setbacks, and you go forward, and it's great, and then you struggle. And all those things are important to remember, hey, you know what? God's still working on me. I'm not done. No need to doubt. Now, as we go down this road, I want to give you three important truths as you think about yourself in this form of a Rubik's Cube that you're still being worked on. Number one, I want you to hear this clearly because I hear this abused so many times. God will allow more than you can handle. God will allow more than you can handle. If somebody tells you he won't, they are lying to you or they don't. I've never read the Bible. How many many people in the room today, all of our campuses, how many of you feel overwhelmed right now? Raise your hand. Be honest. I'm with you. Does that mean that God doesn't care about you? Because if God's never going to give you more than you can handle, then obviously you're not in touch with God. That's not true. Every single person in the Bible, whoever did something huge for God, all of them felt overwhelmed. God allows us to feel overwhelmed because when we feel overwhelmed, we have to turn to his power because ours is gone. Now, what we get confused with, in fact, I put the reference in my notes. If you want to write this down in the margin somewhere, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That verse says that God will never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to bear under the temptation. 
It does not say you will not be overwhelmed. So if you feel overwhelmed, you're in good company. You will feel it. God will allow more into your life so you depend on his strength, not your own. Here's number two. God always cares. God always cares. God knows the number of hairs on your head. I, I teach you about all the time. Uh, Obed and I, we teach right across the hallway, step in. Pastor Danny as well. Right across the hall, first two weeks of every month. And I encourage you, if you've never attended it before, to jump in there. It's an amazing uh, two weeks together. But we learn this. If it matters to you, it matters to God. You're never inconveniencing God. It matters. You matter. In fact, there's a passage of scripture, Isaiah 49, 16, that says God has your name tattooed on his hand. He knows you. He knows who you are. You matter to him. God always cares. So if you doubt that God ever cares, God, I care about you so much, God says. Here's the last truth as we develop and think of ourselves developing, that God uses silence to reveal our source of strength. You ever pray for something and God just is surprisingly absent? Like, God, where did you go? I expected something to change here, but it hasn't. Sometimes God uses silence to help us grow. It seems like he's not responding. It's God's way of saying, okay, well, there's crisis in your life. Who are you going to turn to first? Prayer? Or is prayer going to be a last resort? The Bible? My word, God would say, or the internet. Where are you going to turn? It reveals your source of strength. That's, that's where, it, it's not God being quiet. It's God figuring out, hey, where's their source of strength coming from? Where, who are they going to turn to first? So we can thank him. We're still in development, and I love that. I love that I'm not done. Because <laughs> there's a lot of rough edges still on me, and I'd assume with you as well. I love the fact that God's, so when things seem to be going south on you, just remember, God's still working. Don't doubt. Don't doubt, but trust that he knows what he's doing. And thank him for that. Here's number three. Remember to count accurately. The third way we can beat back doubt is to remember to count accurately. I saw a shirt the other day. It says, when I'm right, no one remembers. When I'm wrong, no one forgets. Right? You've probably seen that before. Isn't that true? When we do good things, nobody ever makes it, pays attention to it. But when we make, you know, mess up or make a mistake, it's like, ah, oh, th their antennas are up for that. Right? We treat God the same way. Look at the verse in Psalm 103.2. David writes this. David says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. David says, I never want to forget the good stuff God has done. Maybe your life's like mine. In my life, God could answer a hundred prayer requests. But when that hundred and first thing comes up, what happens? God, can you do it? God, are you enough? God, are you going to be there for me? God says, I was just for you, there for you a hundred straight times. I can do it. I'll be there for you. I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. But yet we wonder if he's capable. And we doubt. I put this in your notes. God is doing more things for you than the world is doing against you. You just have to look. Everybody take a big, deep breath. Now let it out nice and slow. If you want to take another one, they're refreshing because a lot of us don't do that. There are 151,600 people that yesterday could do exactly what you just did and that no longer can. That's how many people die per day. 151,600. And you just took a big, deep breath. Welcome to blessing number one. 
your house. It may not be huge, but it keeps the rain off your head when it rains. Your job may be horrible. It pays the bills. Sometimes two jobs, sometimes three jobs, but at least you have the jobs. You're dealing with illness. God's provided some level of care. You live in a place where you can go to doctors and hospitals whenever you want. See specialists wherever you want. You live in an amazing place. All of our campuses. You just have to look for the blessings. It's easy to doubt God. God, you're not doing anything. But if you stop to count your blessings, if you count life accurately, you'd find out that your blessings far outnumber the challenges in your life. So, to overcome doubt, we have to count accurately. Here's number four. Remember to live based on truth, not feelings. We have to live based on the truth, not feelings. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, the Bible, is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Church, there's only one source of absolute truth in the world. It's God. It's God's word. It's the Bible. Because the world will tell you, and it's not, not it's, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. As long as people, you know, agree with you, it's okay. There's only one source of absolute truth in the world, and it's the scriptures. But a lot of us don't live like that. A lot of us live not based on the truth, we live based on our feelings. Feelings. I feel so good today. Today's a wonderful day. God is in my hip pocket. The birds are singing. When we're in a good mood, life is great. We're in a bad mood. God, where'd you go? God, why do you hate me? Right? When we live life based on feelings, our emotions can betray us. We can't trust them. You ever thought he was the one and he wasn't? Boy, he's hot. Boy, she's, she's hot. And our feelings get in the way, right? We make stupid decisions because we're not basing our lives on the, on the truth of God's word. He says, hey, stay away from the physical contact until you get married. We're like, no, but you don't understand. She's hot. And we let our emotions take over and we live by emotions. And you know who we blame when everything goes south? We blame God. God, where are you? God, why won't you bless my union? I wanna, I've, I've moved in with him. God, why won't you bless my life? God says, I'm not going to bless disobedience. I'm not going to bless things outside the, uh, I told you in the Bible, this is what I want you to do. But then we live by feelings and we blame God when things don't work out. That's where doubt creeps in. We start to doubt God because we're like, God, if you love me, but God's like, hey, listen, there are absolutes. I, I gave you that word. Do you choose to live by the truth or by emotions? I put this in your notes. When our feelings get to vote, we live by reaction, not reality. When our feelings get to vote, when, every, when a decision comes up in your life, if you for once consider, how does this make me feel before you consider, what does the Bible say about this? You got them flopped. One leads to doubt, one leads to faith. We've got to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about this? How does God want me to make this decision? Take any emotions as, much out, as far out of it as we can. The Bible is useful for instruction. It's useful for confirmation. It's useful for guidance. So many things. If we want to move from the season of doubt in our lives to the season of faith, we have to live based on the truth, which comes from Scripture. Because here's the truth. The world's going to throw all kinds of stuff at you. They're going to tell you that you're worthless. In some way, shape, or form, somebody's going to tell you that you're not worth a whole lot. But you can counter that. Ephesians 2.10 says what? I'm God's masterpiece. Believe that. That's the truth. But the world's going to tell you you don't have the strength to do this. You just, you're weak. Forget it. You can counter that with, I put in my notes, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. The Bible says I can move mountains. 
We've got to choose to live by the scriptures, not the way we feel. Because feelings bring doubt. Scriptures always help us lead, live a life of faith. And there's one last way and we're done. One last way to control doubt. Remember that the who, capital, H on, capital W on who, remember the who is more important than the why. Because the who here we're talking about is God. We have to remember the who is more important than the why. Let's go all the way back to Mary, right? The very first piece of scripture we read tonight, or today about, about Christmas. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. Please underline that phrase. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, how's this going to happen? Which is a few verses later, Mary says, you know what? Whatever God wants. Whatever God wants me to do. May everything you have said about me come true, Mary said. And the angel left her. When was the last time you unconditionally told God, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm down. God, whatever you have for my life, I, I trust you. God, I'm your servant. Whatever you want, God. It's important. But it's not easy, is it? To truly mean it. I think a lot of us have fooled ourselves into, into saying to ourselves that I'll believe God when he gives, starts giving me explanations for what's going on in my life. Why is, when two people are in a hospital, why does one live and one die, God? God, how come you haven't cured this person or done that or how come there's hunger? How come there's terrorism? How come this government's allowed to act like that but that one gets away with it? How come I'm treated like that by my spouse? God, I want an explanation. And when you give me a full explanation, I'll believe. Until then, God, I will doubt you. You ever been there? Look what Mary said. I'm your servant. There will be things that happen to you and to people that you love that there will not be a suitable explanation for. The quicker you can come to terms with that, the easier your life will be. You will not have all the answers you seek very first funeral I ever did it was for a 13-month-old boy. I'll never forget it as long as I live. The little boy died of brain cancer at 13 months. Horrible. And I walked into that funeral home, and I was green. I really hadn't done a whole lot of this before. And I walked in, and the parents walked up to me as soon as I walked in the door, and they said, Pastor, we have one question for you. And you can imagine what that question was. Why my boy? And I gave them... The same answer I still give to people today. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think like God. I don't know why this happened. Sometimes people do things outside of God's will to other people, and I don't understand that either. And I don't understand why God allows people to do this and not to do that. I don't know. But I know this. I can trust God's going to get them through it. I said, I don't know why, I don't know why you're boy, but I know God's going to walk with you every step of the way this terrible time in your life fact is not all the time are we going to have an explanation God simply wants us to trust him remember if you've heard nothing else I've said today God sees the finish line we see the mountains in the way we see the hurdles God knows where he's leading us we can trust him he's more than enough he's bigger than any problem that we're going to have and we can trust him we're not always going to understand. But just like Mary, we need to turn to him and say, God, I'm, I'm your servant. Whatever you have for me to do. I don't understand this. I don't get this. But God, I trust that you have everything under control. Even without all the answers. I put this in your notes. God blesses us when we trust his plans 
without seeing his hands. You may not see why God is doing certain things, but we got to trust him. And when we do, God blesses our lives. Church, I know this. Christmas is that time of year where it's wonderful. It's fantastic. We love it. But I know that Christmas makes the highs high and higher than they usually would be. But you know what else it does? It also makes the lows lower. It amplifies and magnifies emotion. And I know there's some people sitting here in one of our campuses, maybe right here in Cooper City, maybe online. You came in today with doubts. Am I ever going to feel better? Is God ever going to come through? God, I want to have faith. I want to believe, but I want to end today a little differently. If you came in with one of those doubts, I want to tell you, first of all, God is more than enough. And I don't pretend to have an answer to your question, but I know this, that you can trust God. The Bible says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will not spend one minute of any day in your life alone. God is more than enough to overcome any issues you may be having. And we can trust him. And in just a second, I'm going to say a prayer for you. But I'm going to ask something of you that's a little selfish, but I hope that you'll do it anyway. Will you pray for me? I have doubts too. And when I knew the topic was coming up that I had to teach on doubts today, this whole week, guess what I had? I wrestled with God. I wrestled with myself. I wrestled with this message. But in the end, I came out knowing that God was going to see me through it. And I pray that there's something that's been said today that will give you new hope. That this Christmas will be the best Christmas you've ever had because you'll have a renewed sense of trust in God who loves you so much unconditionally. So let's pray together if we could. Father, we come to you today as a church united. But Father, so many of us wrestle with doubt. Father, I pray for each and every person here today and their families. Restore them, strengthen them, and just help them, Father, to see not just the details of what's going on, but the trust that you've got it under control. Father, help us live lives that are confident, with our head held high, our shoulders back, facing forward, knowing full well that challenge is coming, but that we can trust you. Be with each and every person here. God, strengthen them. Help them through their doubts. Because, Father, we know that the best is yet to come. Help us make this the best Christmas we've ever had with the strongest faith we've ever had. And you will get all the glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand today if we could. Now, I want to encourage you to stick around if you would. Uh, we're going to, of course, we're giving out some Dolphin tickets. Those are pretty cool to have now. I picked on our Dolphins a few weeks ago, but they're, they got a winning streak. Stick around. You could be the winner. And number two, there's an exciting guest speaker coming up. I cannot wait. If you, I, I don't want to give anything away. I can't wait. Let's watch a video telling you about that, who that guest speaker is going to be. I've spent my entire career as a journalist uncovering the truth. Until the day my wife presented me with the biggest story of my life. The case for Christ. 
set out to prove to her and to the rest of the world that they were wrong. And what happened next changed me.